A quick note before we get started. When we recorded this episode, Hana was the director of demand generation at Mad Kudu. In the time since, she has started a new role as director of marketing technology at Unreal Digital Group. Enjoy. Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome, welcome. Today we have Hannah Jacober. Welcome, Hannah. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Of course. I think you're the first demand generation specialist that we've had. And for marketers, maybe that role is more defined, but for people outside, do you mind taking us through what that role entails? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I think it's funny because demand gen, like a lot of people feel like it's a new term or like a new role. Um, it's been around for a very long time. <laughs> um, and if you break it down, like it really is just like it kind of started with like that very top of funnel marketing and then expanded deeper into the funnel of, you know, how are we... Um, generating leads and then what's happening once we generate those leads. And really the whole purpose of demand generation is you are, you are creating, you know, demand. Um, so at various parts of the funnel, you, you know, my role and others in demand generation is to create and capture that demand through a variety of different tactics. Um, so I kind of view demand generation as this like, Superstorm that pow powers the funnel, you know, kind of like when the lightning bolt strikes, like it really is pulling from the ground up. Um, so I think that demand gen kind of has that power across the whole funnel. That's amazing. That's the best description I've ever heard of it. <laughs> Can you talk about your story and how you wound up in this role? Yeah, yeah. So I've been uh, primarily on the agency side of B2B for. Uh, really my whole career. So about 10 years on that side, kind of bouncing around between different agencies and always working with like a very core group of individuals that I worked with literally for 10 years. So kind of found my people. Um, so I think that kind of made it easy for me to stay because I loved how we worked together. I love the things that we were creating for others. Um, so yeah, very focused on B2B tech startups um, and then kind of moving as my career progressed into larger agencies with more enterprise focused businesses as customers. So then in my specific role, um, also progressing into more of a people manager, which I absolutely adore, um, and client relationships. I'm I'm very much passionate about building relationships and managing teams. So that was just sort of like a natural fit for me. Um, and then I decided to go in-house last year <laughs> um, and sort of just wanted to see what it was like on the other side and see what it was like to kind of own a little bit more of the responsibility and, um, you know, seeing things all the way through. Like you on the agency side, you sometimes only see just a little portion of what's going on. So it's nice to be able to have that visibility being in-house of, what else is going on around this specific initiative? How has that transition been to, to go from agency life for, you know, a, a big chunk of your career to now being in-house? Yeah, yeah. It's been, you know, there's been good days and bad days. It's, it's a hard transition. It really is. I mean, especially given the time that it happened, right? Like this was the last, I, I'm almost at a year here at Mad Kudu in a few days, actually. Um, but yeah, like, thank yeah, congrats. you. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was definitely a hard time for me, just like where I was in my life personally, and then also like what's going on around us in you know in the backdrop of COVID and um, lots of other things, and so that kind of like has its own set of challenges. But then I think just generally thinking about shifting from that consulting side to in house, you like I I like to think about it as like we we're really competing against um, a clock previously, right? Like you have hours, you have you know so many times, uh, so many hours that are billable, so many you're you're constantly estimating projects, you're constantly trying to figure out how can we get this one thing done with this many hours. Um, it's very project management focused, um, and on you know, on the side of where I am now, like it's very much you're competing against other priorities. So 
the clock is the clock, right? Like it's just going to keep going. Um, but that, and the list of priorities is just going to keep going. So the time is important, but what's more important is prioritizing that huge list of things that you need to get done with the time that you have. Can you talk a little bit about what Mad Kudu does and how your role fits into that broader mission? Our mission is really to, and like the very broad mission would be like the democratization of data. Um, so making data more accessible for marketers specifically, um, everyone, right? But marketers specifically, because there's not a lack of data, right? We all know there's so much data. The problem is accessing that data and then being able to pull the right things from it that will equate to, you know, powerful insights that will help you make better decisions, Um And it sounds really easy, but it can be really difficult as technologies have advanced and has as teams have evolved and businesses grow and change. It just has become a more complex issue to access that data. Um, So we're really trying to build a modern data stack or fit into the modern data stack and ensure that there's a place for marketers to easily access data that may have only been accessible through data scientists or a complicated relationship with marketing ops or, you know, something like that. Um, So we're making it easier for those teams to work together. We're also allowing, um, you know, through our data science studio for marketers to actually have their hands in that data, no matter where it is sitting. So the ability to pull all that data in Um, adjust it to a scoring model, you know, and also leveraging like machine learning within that. So you're not doing 100% of that work. Um, And then, yeah, leaving more time to just prioritize other things and work faster. Right. It sounds like a very uh, empowering tool. Like you're empowering teams that maybe thought of this as a higher level of responsibility or even analytics to go like, oh, we can Mm -hmm. see, we can draw results from this and maybe cater our marketing efforts to the results that we, we get through your service. It's, it's very cool. Um, yeah, yeah. And you're also an educator, right? You, you make time to educate other marketers or people that, uh, are in the field or curious about the field. Can you talk a little bit about those efforts in your life? That's sort of also come a little bit naturally. Um, just, I think, having been on the agency side, we, you know, when I first got into working at the agency, I was running a lot of our internal marketing programs, um, which actually helped me really understand kind of like consultative selling and how we are um, adding value to partnerships on the agency side. So really like that relationship building. And then from there, I was able to sort of like, broaden my expertise around the actual things we were teaching. So like lead management and then lead scoring, lead nurturing, all of those demand gen things that we were doing. I sort of started absorbing a lot of that knowledge and then shifted to where I could teach it to our clients um, who didn't know how to do those things or who needed a better strategy, but didn't know where to start or just didn't have the time. Um, So education and coaching just kind of naturally became a part of my role and embedded in our different client relationships because we would have people coming to us for lead scoring workshops, um, you know, marketing ops optimizations and lead nurturing audits, things like that. So it was very naturally kind of an education-based relationship or coaching consultative-based relationship, whatever you want to call it. Um, So I think that's just sort of always been with me. And then whenever there's been opportunities for me to teach that class or whatever topic it may be to um, either people that, you know, want to make a career change or don't have access to this knowledge. um, And there's a lot of different organizations that are out there helping people, you know, gain this uh, knowledge, but like Greenfig University, SB Academy are two that I've been involved with and have really enjoyed kind of lending my, what I've learned and, and, and teaching them a course to help others sort of get their foot in the door when it comes to those topics. Yeah. I feel like it's a very compassionate philosophy. Yeah. Lift, lift as you rise 1000%. That's the only way, like, it's just the way that I was raised. Um, and especially it was like, 
it, leave leave something better than how you found it, right? Like that's what my parents always told me, whether it's when you walk in a room or when you have a relationship with somebody, um, always leave something that makes it better than when it was. Um, and I think that that just kind of speaks to very deeply who I am with, with whatever it is I'm doing. It's It's so inspiring. Is there anything about your path growing up that led you into marketing or that led you into these leadership roles or maybe contributed in a significant way? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it, it's interesting. Like I always wanted to be in advertising for a very long time. And I would say advertising specifically, mostly because I like, didn't really know what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like, you see the ads on TV and you're like, oh, I want to do that. Um, but I think more specifically, like what I, what my parents have really helped shape is my communication and the ability to understand leadership and leadership development and team development and collaboration. Um, and the reason I, I say that that's a lesson from them is because they're both actually executive coaches. They both have, um, expertise in organizational development and team development, leadership development. So, I grew up with that, like no pressure, right? (laughs) 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 Um, I have vivid memories of like sitting on the floor of their office, like looking through all of their like printed out workshop papers because this was, you know, like the 90s. So yes, we still had those printers in our house Um, and trying to understand because they would do these workshops for, you know, like Nike, Columbia, these big brands. And at the time, like I didn't, appreciate it as much as I wish I would have. And I do now, but, um, they would go in and teach these, teach these leadership courses for these big brands like, like that, and, um, develop these workshops that were very based on kind of identifying those leadership skills, identifying those types of communication skills that the leaders have and what they're missing and how to work together, um, doing a lot of team building exercises, things like that. Um, and doing a lot of one-on-one coaching. So I think that just what they have taught me is, or given me is really just that gift of communication. Um, I was doing like Myers-Briggs tests when I was 10 years old. So (laughs) I, I very much know how to read somebody and understand that my way of communication might not be the best way of communication when talking to somebody else or trying to work with somebody else. Um, and remembering that has has definitely made a huge impact in the way that I've um, moved throughout my career. How do you how do you describe your leadership style? If you were to sort of give a small TED talk on your style of leadership, yeah, um, I think my leadership style is very much based on um, you know I think empathy is obviously uh, a number one there. I think. Um, you know, everything that kind of encompasses just being a servant leader also. And I think, you know, one of the biggest lessons learned about leadership and leadership development has really been just understanding that everybody's a leader, right? Like there are kids that are, you know, 10 times smarter than half the population. Most adults that I talk to every day that are, that are leaders, right? Like they're just leaders and it's about your specific journey and cultivating that. So, I think for me, what's been really important about driving my leadership style is just understanding where I am in my journey as a leader, um, as well as understanding where other people around me are in their journey as leaders, because we might not be able to serve each other. And that's okay. You could be the smartest, like the most driven person, but if your journey as a leader and where you are in that specific journey doesn't allow you to serve somebody else, you just might not be able to cross paths and that's okay. And I think recognizing that is really important. Um, And I think getting to a point where you can truly serve others as a leader involves doing a lot of that like introspective work um, and really sitting down with yourself first before, you know, trying to influence everything else around you. And I think that there's a lot of leaders who aren't there in their journey, um, you know, everyone will hopefully get there at some point. But for me, it's really about aligning how I can help serve somebody in their journey. And then also, most importantly, identifying the leaders that I need. 
Um, so knowing where I'm at in my journey, trying to find leaders that align with that, that can serve me in, in my specific, you know, place in wherever it is on my map, my journey map. Have you experienced a moment or a time in your career that you had a shift in perspective in leadership or a moment that was particularly profound in your own journey? Ooh, that's a really hard question. I think that, I think that honestly, it, it took a lot of work, like what I was saying, like it took a lot of like self-discovery and a lot of that internal work of, of just like tearing yourself open a little bit and sitting with it and understanding like, man, like what is my true intent? Like, what is my true intent in this life? Um, and I feel like after I was able to start some of that work, I started looking at leaders differently or people that I thought were leaders. Um, and then it, it gave me the ability to kind of do some of that mapping for myself of who's actually serving me and who's not serving me. Um, and then identifying like, okay, all of these are the attributes that I need. Um, either as a leader, in a leader, or for myself. Um, because I'm saying after doing this work, like I'm really able to identify that. So I think um, I've had a lot of leaders throughout my career, and I'm so grateful for it, that have done that work. Um, but after being able to do some of that work myself, it kind of opened my eyes to my current situation and being able to advocate for myself a little bit more and remove myself from situations that weren't serving me, relationships that weren't serving me, leaders that weren't serving me, um, and just set boundaries too, uh, to be able to kind of shut down and leave time to work on myself. Because the minute I stop working on myself, the minute I stop doing that work is when I just get all flustered, I, my executive functioning goes out the door. Like that's, I just, I need that time. And it's taken me a long time to figure out how to set boundaries to make sure that I, I give myself that time. Yeah. These are very kind of healthy themes that you're right. I mean, it's so authentic and it's so real and it's, it's very refreshing to hear in a, in a more corporate setting, you know, like it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's refreshing to hear about you know, self-love and recognizing boundaries and recognizing what you bring to the table and who might not be receptive to it and who might be receptive to it. I think it's just awesome. Mm -hmm. If there's a way to bring it back to you as a marketer, how does your relationship to empathy and authenticity factor into your current role and what you do day to day? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think it allows me to be more creative. Honestly, I think it allows me to have more fun. Um, I think it's, it, it definitely opens me up in some areas where I don't want to be as vulnerable, but I end up being so, um, so I do think that it just, it lets a lot of things rise to the surface, um, having those as your core values. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it sucks, but, um, but the, bonus is like you build better relationships. You're more creative. You have more fun. You're just more authentic in your messaging. You're not ever going to put anything out there that you don't believe. You're not ever going to align yourself with people or products that you don't believe in. Um, and I think that that's who you want to be buying from are people like that, that have been able to identify kind of those things that truly align with their values and who they are at the core. Right. We've talked about a number of times on this podcast, we've talked about how it feels like business is becoming more human. And it feels like in the mm -hmm. last few years, yeah. we're starting to recognize the values of a company, the, you know, like the values of the individuals that you're dealing with. I think it's, it's also mm -hmm. really amazing to be able to have these Zoom meetings and see into people's homes and to see how, you know, like it's such an intimate perspective of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Can you talk about your work in DEI? And I know you've been recognized as a leader in that space and how that also sort of folds into this kind of profound career that you have going. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. And, and this is a, this is an interesting topic for me because I'm not a DEI expert and I don't want to be a DEI expert. Um, I use my own experiences as a black woman that is also, you know, mixed with white um, to talk about it. That's, I mean, that's it. I'm just sharing my thoughts and my feelings and my experiences as a human that has 
understood what it's like to live with racism every day, that has understood what it's like to be the only Black person in a room, that has understood what it's like to feel those feelings when it comes to racism and microaggressions and just kind of like the things that if you don't understand, if you don't, if you're not Black or a person of color, you don't, you just cannot fathom. You just cannot fathom. So when it comes to DEI, it's, you know, please like play, pay, pay Black educators that have spent their careers really building frameworks and working with, with teams to put these frameworks into action when it comes to DEI. Um, I get to have a small impact in that space because I can share my experiences um, just based on my life and my interactions. And because I am biracial, I, I have some privilege there. Um, and I use that as much as I can to make sure that I'm opening the door for others, that nobody ever has to go through uh, some of the questioning that I've had to go through in my life when it comes to either personal things or business related things or just growing as, you know, just moving throughout your day. Um, so that's that's really my stance on like my DEI work. Like I, it, I don't want to ever claim to be a DEI expert. I claim to be an expert in living my life as a black biracial woman, trying to navigate the waters and deciding that my voice and sharing my voice and the, my experiences could potentially make a difference for somebody else. Um, and, and partnering with organizations to help tell that story and also just show that there's representation, like having having a, another Black woman see me on a panel with all white people, like that's inspiring, that's representation. And I know that that's a bigger deal than sometimes I remember to make it. Um, so even just being able to showcase or be that representation um, along with hopefully, you know, other other Black people and people of color. Yeah, I think that's very elegantly said. Coming from my perspective as a white person trying to navigate with empathy and with, you know, sincerity, each time that I'm invited to some sort of event or some sort of talk or some sort of, you know, recognition that we need to listen and learn more, uh, I appreciate it. And I, it means a lot to me to even hear your perspective and to know that even in that small moment, it's helping me grow as a person on earth. So I want to shift a little bit. How do you relate to the word community in, in a business sense, in a personal sense? I feel like that's a, a word that comes up in marketing quite a bit. And mm -hmm. I love to hear what perspective you have or how that word sort of filters through. I think if starting on the personal side, like community to me um, has always just meant to, like the people around you that have have their your best interest and you have theirs and whether you know hopefully it's kind of like you have some common ground on that like we have each other's best interest and 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 we're working in this kind of like realm of um like for example I grew up with a very close-knit um church group so that would be one of them um or like even just be, so I'm adopted, um, even just being adopted, like my family is my community, right? Like, and, and kind of reaching out to then others that have that same experience, um, being mixed, others that have that same experience and finding that community. So having this like shared experience and um, trying to just kind of help each other navigate through that whether it be in business or in personal, um, you know, trying personal growth. I think that it's really just about trying to find those people where you can have each other's best interests. You have some common shared experience and you're all kind of trying to reach this goal, right? There's a common goal, um, something that you're trying to get towards, whether that's just simply like personal um, or in some cases that that I like to relate to is black liberation um, or like on the marketing side, like becoming a marketing operations 
professional, you know, and building that career to the point where you can have, you know, full purview over the business and actually have a super strong impact there. So I think that for me, like that's, those are kind of the examples that I think of when I, when I think about community. A lot of times there are people that see communities, maybe that they wish they were welcomed into, uh, but Mm -hmm. have a deep insecurity or have a fear of approaching a community that they maybe uh, envy or have some sort of like, oh, I wish I could be part of that. And there's that barrier there because it's it mm-hmm. takes a lot of bravery, I think, to ask to be a participant or to step into even, you know, like at a party, it's like stepping into the group of people that you're like, I want to socialize with that group, but it's so nerve wracking sometimes. Do you have any advice mm-hmm. to people who maybe have a hard time uh, trying to build their communities or trying to build their networks? Yeah, I think that for me, what's been helpful is, is understanding that nobody gets to tell you what your experience is. Um, nobody gets to define who you are. Nobody gets to define your goals. Nobody gets to judge you. Well, you, they, people can judge you on that, but um, those are yours. Like those are yours and whatever you decide is right. Um, so I think that the reason I see that is because it gives you confidence. It allows you to bypass a lot of fear. Uh, So that fear of joining a community, that fear of speaking up, that fear of just kind of like starting a random conversation with somebody or networking or being scared because you're scared to do all of those things. But nobody gets to define you and your goals and um, any of those things that you bring to the table. And it's your experience to share. And you're always going to be able to find somebody that can benefit from that. And vice versa, if you have that same outlook on coming into the community and others as well. Um, So I think it's really just about like knowledge sharing and then trying to find, you know, the things about your, what makes you unique, what makes your journey unique and sharing those things as well. Yeah, I I love that. That's one of the values of this podcast is hearing uh, the such rich dynamic backgrounds of everybody and how they make their way into their role. And I feel like it's such a cool thing because I do think a lot of marketers come from, you know, various different backgrounds that find their way here. And then they're like, oh, this, these are my people, or this is the way I like to communicate at work, or this is the way I like to, you know, put my effort. Yeah, totally. And I'll say too, as an example, like, there's a couple of different communities that like, I was always nervous to get into. Like I was always nervous to get into, um, black marketers, America uh, association of America, which I love that community, but like growing up in very white spaces, like that's a community that I never had, unfortunately. And I always wanted, so it was very difficult for me to step into that community. But like the minute I just kind of started saying, you you have this incredibly shared experience, this incredible shared experience with the people in this community, but that also doesn't mean it has to be the same experience. And whatever you're bringing to the table, whatever your experience is, that's going to be welcome. That's going to be supported. Like you just talking about things. And, and once I started sharing a little bit more and seeing how accepting and seeing how excited people were to just connect with others that have that shared experience, like it just breaks down all of that fear inside and really helps you connect with other people. Um, I also started, I also joined a discord channel. So I, I recently have been like doing some research on NFTs and like, I joined yeah. some discord channels. Yes. And the yeah, this one's like a little bit more of a silly <laughs> example, but um, like I was so nervous. I was like, you know, kind of lurking in the discord channel and I was kind of nervous. I was like, oh, like I'm going to say something. It's going to be so stupid. And uh, they're going to be like, get out of here, noob. Um, <laughs> but I just decided to like, <laughs> like lean in and trust that community. And, and I asked what I thought was like really silly question, like a really noob question. And, um, that wasn't the case because it was like very much built, like it's very much built on community and helping others and helping others navigate the community. And so the answers that I got were just like, that's not a dumb question. Like, we're so excited to have you and like, just very, very welcoming and helpful. So I think just like trying to 
remove that fear. Like the fear is just the killer of all action. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I feel like maybe it's that sort of stigma of subculture or stigma of anything that's like an in-group, you know, attitude that somehow you're going to have to like really prove yourself or be an expert or like, you know, show up with a huge bang and not come in and just be someone that's a wallflower for a little bit and then go like, Hey, I have a a question over here in the corner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's part of what's evolving. I think both in culture and in business is that we're all, we see each other so much more. Like we all see each other so much more through social media and through, you know, like there's all these Mm -hmm. different streams of information of how people are living and what people are doing. And I think it's making people more curious about how people are living and what people are doing. I love it. <laughs> and I love that story. I feel like it's awesome I do too. to join a, <laughs> you know, like join a Discord. And this is another social, or it's like a new social app. I'm kind of dumb well, about Discord. Well, I mean, it's not new. I think it's just like, I think we're maybe just old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not maybe. I'm Which is definitely. beautiful. Yeah. Age is a beautiful thing, by the way. My, I, I, I only always wanted to be older. And I was like, when I'm older, it'll be better. Um, and it usually was. So, you know, I like, I like aging. I think it's interesting. I think you, you give less Fs when you get older. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's, that's a big time <laughs> truth. Uh, can you talk about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship and how that plays a oh, role yeah. in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think mentorship is really somebody that um, is is going to kind of help give you advice on the things that they're hearing from you and lean on their experience and expertise to guide you as best as you can, as they can. Um, but at the end of the day, like you're still doing all, you still then have to take what they say and put it into action, report back, like through your own eyes, like, here's what I, here's what happened. I did this. I took that approach that you recommended, you know, and here's what happened now. What? So kind of just like, uh, sort of like the person that's like handing you water when you're, when you're running like a marathon and cheering you on, like very much a cheerleader in that sense. Um, Whereas a sponsor is somebody who's, they're going to like roll up their sleeves. They're going to be like running with you. They're going to be coaching you. They're going to be there to the very end. They're going to be also like, your hype person in situations where you may not even be aware that your name is being brought up. So they, I I think it takes a certain level of empathy to be somebody's sponsor because you are thinking about them and you truly do have their best interest and you want them to succeed. So you therefore will say their names that you will offer up anything that you can to get them the opportunities that you feel that they are best suited for and that they best deserve. And you'll fight for them and you'll advocate for them. Um, and you'll speak on their behalf. You'll put them in rooms they wouldn't have been in. Like that's a sponsor is is somebody who's going to like, uh, like drag you up the, you know, across the finish line uh, or up the, up the last bit of the hill. A deeper investment, a more, like a more committed Mm -hmm. investment. Are you, are you a sponsor? Are you like, how does this factor into your life? Uh, So, I mean, I have been very lucky to have both amazing mentors and sponsors throughout my life, throughout my career, particularly in my career. Um, I am so grateful for the relationships that I've built in my career within my network and have just kind of like organically been able to develop these really awesome relationships and friendships too. Like they're some of my best friends. Um, But yeah, I mean, for myself, like I see it as uh, going back to what we said initially, like lift as you rise. Um, I was given that opportunity. I'm super grateful for it. So it only makes sense for me to also make sure that I'm giving somebody else that opportunity. Um, I'm there for somebody else and I find joy in it, right? Like I got to experience not only having a mentor, having a sponsor, but I also saw how that impacted that person um, and how it changed them and how positive like that impact was. And I also want to feel that way, um, you know, when I'm helping somebody, when I'm somebody's sponsor or mentor, whatever it may be, like it, it's, it's not self-serving necessarily, but there is a component that it's like, dang, that 
does make me feel proud. It makes me feel good. It really is the energy that I want to both attract and put out. Um, so yeah, I mean, every opportunity that I get, I, I find people that I can mentor. I find people that I can sponsor, um, you know, people that I've worked with for many, many years that I'll mention their name out of nowhere because I'm thinking about them, you know, and I think they're awesome. And I think that they would be the best person to be standing in that room. Um, so I think it's just about like really, again, like developing those relationships and identifying who those people are in your life um, and how you can serve them and how they can serve you. Yeah. I love this. Um, yeah. Cause it, it often feels like in every capacity, it's not a zero sum game. It's not like, Oh, I made mm -hmm. it. So nobody else can. It's like, there is, there are, there is so much room in this corporate landscape or in this, you know, broad landscape for people to achieve and succeed and be a valuable contributor in the way that they feel, you know, called mm -hmm. to contribute. So our next segment is called Stand with the Brand. And I'm going to present a few stories on some brands that uh, some of us might know, might not know about. And you get to decide if you stand with the brand or you want to take a seat. Uh, so first up is, I think we all might know this brand, uh, Nike, signature no. uh, swoosh <laughs> on a lot of shoes and shirts. Yes, yes. Uh, Very Portland so brand, they, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be a little, a little <laughs> <might be> <laughs> Um, I love that you mentioned that with your parents. That was pretty cool. But uh, so they, from their signature, just do it. They are shifting a little bit and they're doing just feel it, which is an effort on their end to address mental health. So for the first time, they're actually going to be joining physical health with mental health on a platform excuse me, that they called mindsets, which is two different words, actually. Uh, the goal for the platform is to allow people to have exercise tools where they can move their body, but then also take control and prioritize their mental health through things like breath work, uh, meditation, journaling. I mean, you name it, really tapping into that side of health that a lot of us have to put on the back burner, it seems. Um, so their initiatives are coming out as public awareness is growing just between the links between exercise and mental well-being, especially among athletes at, you know, high school level, collegiate level, professional level, we're all uh, under pressure. And I say we because uh, I was an athlete in college and I totally wish that they would have done this, but I am so happy that they're doing it now. So um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on was two athletes that a lot of us heard about, which was, excuse me, Naomi Osaka when she withdrew from the French Open and then also touched on her mental health concerns as well as gymnast Simone Biles as she was focusing on her mental health when she withdrew from some events during the Tokyo Olympics this summer. So in a world where athletes are constantly having everyone in their business, they're always on the go, um, kind of on that brink of facing burnout and not really being able to take care of themselves or prioritize what they need and putting others before them. Um, this is a tool to prevent this from happening and really address the topic of mental health by making it a centerpiece and a conversational piece among all of us. So do you stand with the brand Nike on this or do you take a seat? Oh, I stand like rocket <laughs> to the moon. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I, what I will say too, is that like in your example, like those are two black women, right? Yes. Um, uh, and one of them obviously mixed woman. And um, that in itself is, um, gosh, it's like such an excruciating journey. Um, yeah. And not only that, but you know, Simone Biles has, has dealt with an extraordinary career and, mm -hmm. you know, obviously with, with the sexual abuse with, from coming from Larry Nassar, like yes. there are so many different layers to that mm -hmm. situation. Um, so I think what's really critical is reminding ourselves that when we see these athletes, when we see these celebrities and these brands just kind of like really using them. Right. Um, Absolutely there's so much more going on. They're just humans. They're just humans. 
and we have put the weight of the world on them. Um, and then when you add in the complexities of being a black woman, of being a woman in general and trying to convince people that you were treated wrongly by somebody that was supposed to look after you. Um, yeah, like I just, I think that it is, it is a really hard topic, um, especially, yeah, uh, I'm a huge proponent of mental health in the workplace, mental health in everything that we do. I think that it's a phenomenal campaign. I think that it probably it has taken too long to, to get these things rolling. I think that yeah. we'll probably start to see more organizations start to offer this up to employees. I mean, we're already seeing kind of like the explosion of, of apps like BetterHelp and, and Talkspace or Headspace. Um, and I think we'll start to see more of a partnering of, of companies um, offering these, these services and making sure that they are taking care of their people on more than just kind of like that, you know, here's your money, here's your jobs and responsibilities level. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more on all of those accounts. And uh, I actually do want to shout out our company really quick is that is a huge piece of uh, our company as employees that I think is great is we get a mental health day every month. And if we need more, we can always um, go to our superiors and just ask them and say, hey, we're going through this. And I don't remember that uh, happening. Like if you asked me that two or three years ago, I wouldn't know what anybody was talking about when they said they got to take some mental health days because they were going through things. I think it's a a huge component. And like you said, treating them like humans instead of putting them up on pedestals and acting like they don't have feelings or they're not going through these things that isn't in the public eye is such a huge piece as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's what can be hard for brands too is like, they're trying to recognize it after the fact, right? Like this already happened. These things already happened. So they're um, trying to fill that gap. And I think that you do see some, when that happens, some other brands sort of rise to the occasion and um, ones that may have been there doing that all along. Like you see Calm, for example, is is one that I like to call out where, um, you know, they're going to pay they're going to pay fees, right? Like they paid the, all of the fees for, I think, Naomi um, yes. to ensure that sh- that didn't fall on her in a ridiculous yep. in a ridiculous scenario. Oh, um, yeah, so I absolutely. think it's an opportunity for brands that have, have really been advocates of this movement to step in and say, no, no, like, here's what you act, here's what action actually looks like. Here's what the support actually looks like. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to, you know, either physically or monetarily support this person to make sure that we show them that we truly stand with them and are helping them cross this difficult time in their life. Absolutely. I think it's interesting to me that it, uh, obviously I think there's an awakening happening both catalyzed by COVID, but also even before COVID, you know, like it feels like, we're becoming more aware of the importance of our mental well-being. We're becoming more aware of our limitations and burnout mm-hmm, and things yes. that like need to be more, you know, culturally accepted. And it kind of feels like we went from a culture of just deal with it to now like they're literally yeah. putting it on their brain, like just feel it. Just we all feel these really hard things. And I think it's, you know not to be a downer, but it feels like despair has played a huge role in, you know, like the dark side of our, of like Mm -hmm. our sort of hyper-driven capitalist society where, you know, like we we feel like we have to constantly produce and output and, and give of Mm -hmm. ourselves and, and we're okay to just sit back and be like, okay, I don't, I'm not paid what I want. I'm not (laughs) earning what I want. I'm not doing what I want, Mm -hmm. but I'm, Mm -hmm. at least I'm like, in the race, at least I'm doing my thing. And it does feel like <laughs> yeah, there's a new yeah. there's a new awareness starting to emerge. That's like, you know, there are countries, I think I heard that's, you know, like in France or something, bosses aren't allowed to even c- communicate with their employees past like 6 p.m. or something. And yep. I was like, wow. Yes. What, mm-hmm. <laughs> what a cool thing. And I feel like with what Nike's doing, even putting on a platform, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, yeah. come on, Nike. Like, you're just a huge oh, inter- yeah. mega international corporation trying to like get a little, you know, uh, 
But I feel like there's two ways to look at it. It's amazing that mm-hmm. a major international corporation is literally going like, mental health, it's real. And maybe we should take active steps to address it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yes. That's how I see it. But I think it's, I think it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Uh, even the journey from the word mental health probably being like, met with quizzical stares to now people are like, okay, how do we do it? And how do we take action? And what's, what are the tools that help me deal with my own, you know, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think is cool. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned, um, despair and that kind of triggered me a little bit because I, gosh, I was like texting my sister earlier this year. And I, I told her, I'm like, for the first time, I think I feel, I think I'm feeling this emotion of despair, um, that I've never felt before in this way. Um, and it was really weird, you know, it was a really new emotion to truly feel just despair. And I do think that that is driving a lot. I think we're all sort of feeling that like, it's very much collective trauma, collective despair. There's so much going on. We've been able to look behind the curtain a little bit, um, you know, in the last couple of years and, and see these, crazy examples of things that we had only read about before. Um, And here it is happening right before our eyes. And so I think that too, there's only so much that you can do as an individual, right? And that's just sort of following the flow of, of really like that capitalistic society that you mentioned, like that feels, um, it feels like it's not enough, but it also feels like then there's this layer of guilt. There's this layer of gosh, like what should I be doing? Um, but I think that, you know, and this kind of goes back to like the DE and I conversation is we all need to kind of understand and, and look at like, what is, what does it maybe mean to be an anti-capitalist society? Like what would it mean to move away from, from some of these systems that we have in place in order to actually truly explore, you know, mental health and providing the things that we need to our community to live a better life and to just live like wouldn't it be nice to just live um and yes. not have to work all the <laughs> all the time yeah. um so i think we just kind of forget some of those things because we've been conditioned to like that's just it's just how it is yeah yeah we're a culture of work we talked to uh uh one of the marketers at smartsheet and he was saying he had just moved to london yeah. and he was like the most pr- profound cultural shift has been moving away from a culture of work and moving into a culture yep. of, oh yeah, after work, we just hang out. We don't, you know, like we, <laughs> we go to the pub and we hang out and we talk about soccer and we talk, you know, like we talk about our lives. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was really striking to be like, wow, that's, America really is such a thriving culture of work where you're kind of expected to be thinking about work most of the time, Mm -hmm. if not actively doing your work. Um, Yeah. I love the jokes that are made. Like, I'm, I don't know which comedian, but I'm, I've heard jokes that are like, we go to school to do work and then we're given homework to train us that we're always (laughs) supposed to be at work. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, you know, I was, I actually have this game in front of me. It's called big talk. It's, it's really good for, um, just like fun, you know, virtual happy hour stuff. And I've noticed that like my answers become like more and more grim over, you know, the last couple, even the last couple weeks. It's like, what's one thing that you wish you didn't know about every day? And I'm like, capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah. That list is mounting. I feel like we are faced with just, you know, world ending threats all the time. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So our next one is vans. Uh, I think we all have maybe had a pair. I think I had a pair when I was little when I used to skateboard. Uh, so vans is stepping up in the sports community in their efforts to empower and connect. And they want to use their platform and their partnerships to put all communities, including marginalized athletes, at the forefront of sports culture. Uh, and one of the members of the USA skateboarding team, Zion Wright, he has been sharing his experience that he has had with fostering relationships within the skateboarding community community, and like how they can thrive off of having an inclusive space to skate and 
just build relationships outside of skating and kind of having that more work-life balance. Um, so this was a speaker, Zion Wright, at Adweek's Brand Week Sports Marketing Summit. Um, and I wanted to read one of his quotes just because I really enjoyed it. So he said, giving it back to the community as far as the youth, they need a place, place to hang out and skate and be able to collaborate because I met all my good friends through traveling and going to different skate parks. It's also a big thing for the community where everyone can come together to be just one and just skate while being able to build. And Vans is bringing to kind of the table for all of us very soon, Vans family, where the brand is going to prioritize people and building those relationships with other athletes and creators that have the same passion, but to make it more diverse space than a lot of other companies are doing. Um, and over the years, the sports sports companies have become more diverse, but Vans is trying to continue to bridge that gap um, to change sports going beyond just the competitiveness and when you're on the field, when you're training, that kind of thing, but to be able to go within the communities and diversify not only skateboarding in this instance, but the sports industry as a whole. So they want to build on and off the field work-life balance and bridge that gap between comp competing to be a part of the community. So with that being said, on Vans developing this program, making Vans family and going beyond uh, a lot of other companies I can think of, I think we can each think of five or six, but... Do you stand with the brand Vans on this piece or do you take a seat? This one's a tough one. Um, <laughs> can I, I like want a half stand. <laughs> Could the other halves be allowed? <laughs> yeah. You can, yeah. Break it I down for stand, us. I want to stand with the brand. I do. Um, because I believe in that mission very much. Yes. But um, I don't necessarily, and maybe it's just because I don't know enough about you know, like I, I know about Vans, but I don't know enough about like their mission when it comes to purposefully driving this forward. Right. Historically, it feels like um, they're picking up on a trend. Um, their spokespeople, of course, like, you know, at least that they're, they're using somebody like, and like I literally just said, using, that's what it is. Um, yeah. Somebody like Zion to tell his story, right? And I do believe that that truly is kind of finding those individuals that, you know, Zion, for example, another Black man, right? Mm -hmm. um, understands yeah. community. Like, I think that when you're Black, their community just means something very different. I think that when you're part of an underrepresented group in general, community means something different because you rely on it so much more. Um, I mean, even just think about like, like meet the median household of, um, of like a white family versus a black family. Like the re there's many reasons to it, but like another reason that we don't see that gap, that wealth, that racial wealth gap closing is because of the way that we spend our money. Um, mm -hmm. black people are, are, infusing money back into their community more often than white families are. So that's part of the reason that racial wealth gap won't close. Um, and again, like there's many different reasons for that, that we could talk about for hours, but yeah, I just think that like, I believe in Zion's story and I believe that that is very much the case and needs to be at the forefront of, of what they're doing, but Vans as a brand leading that initiative, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the fence. <laughs> I can't. I can't separate Vans from the '90s Warp tours. I still feel like I think about. Oh my gosh! You know, like yes, Limp yeah, Biscuit yeah. or whatever those concerts were. Like it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, on the other hand, like Vans totally gave people that didn't feel like they fit in. Like they definitely gave them a space, and yeah. you know you have to acknowledge that, especially when it comes to things like. Um, non-traditional athletic sports that yes. as somebody in an underrepresented community, or if you're black, like skateboarding or snowboarding, or, you know, I was a big snowboarder and it was, it was awesome. Cause I just got to be myself. I didn't have to worry about what people were thinking about me. I didn't have to be, you know, but, you know, just due to this society of like, 
oh, you are black, so you should be doing these things. Right. Um, yeah. And being able to step out of that and have the space to listen to different music, do different sports, like be interested in, you know, like we're not a monolith, right? Be interested in different yeah. things. And I do think it's important that that mission is is being driven forward. I also love how you mentioned that they're trying to embrace the separation between the competitiveness and the creativity. I do think that skateboarding yes. and snowboarding and a lot of the maybe more expressive extreme sports that are individual mm -hmm. and less bound by this specific set of team rules on a specific field. Um, yeah. They're sports that sort of rose to popularity because of their, uh, I think, diversion from competitiveness, where there were a bunch of people yeah. that were like, we don't have to constantly be in competition with one another. We can build on each other mm -hmm. and learn from each other's creativity in this realm and, you know, progress in this sort of beautiful, very dangerous way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I actually have a story about that. Um, when I, so I snowboarded competitively and um, when my dad, like I quit soccer to do it because like, I didn't want to have to do all of it. I just didn't want to constantly be like doing something. Um, right. But I really want to do snowboarding and I wanted to be able to like train for snowboarding in the summer and just like go snowboarding up at Timberline. And um, so anyways, like my parents let me do it, but um, my dad was like so torn about it. Cause he just, he's like, I don't know how to support you. I don't know how to support you in this type of sport. Like he didn't see it as like this sport that he could like cheer on the sideline and, you know, like root me right. on and, um, so I was like, okay, dad. So my first, you know, may, not my first competition, but the one that he decided to come to. And he, I was like, get your snowshoes, come up the hill, stand right here and just wait. And like my, here's my number. Here's what I'm wearing. Like they'll announce me and just, just watch, just watch <laughs> the competition, just watch it. And for the first time, like afterwards, he was like, I totally get it. <laughs> And he was like, I was so excited to see you. And it didn't matter that there were, you know, you weren't like competing next to somebody else. Like it was you doing your thing and you got to just like see how unique, like what, how unique you could make something, but everybody's doing the same run. Right. But then you add right. these flares, you add these styles and, and then at the bottom, it's just like such a collaborative environment. And I think it was really eye opening for him. And I think it is for a lot of people to kind of get themselves outside of the like stigma of that, you know, sports competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's like the beautiful thing about the, the sort of X game sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Hannah, to wrap up, we end each episode by asking our guests three questions. The first is what have you done recently for the very first time? Oh, um, well, I, I bought an NFT. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back to that conversation. Yeah. That was a, <laughs> that, that was really interesting. It was a, it's been fun learning a little bit more about that world and what um, was I the think motivation? It's, it's our like, future. What brought you to like, this is the NFT I want to buy as my first NFT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I just, I just am very, and I always have been very interested in like, where, where are we going next with technology and where are we going next with like, what, what's that big thing? Um, so like crypto has always been really interesting to me, not that I like fully understand it. <laughs> um, and then like NFT started popping up and, and I just kind of started just doing a little bit of research and trying to understand like, okay, like, what is this? Um, how does it work? And I'm very much trying to figure out like, the, the that back end of it like how does this work in the on the blockchain and and um what's the impact of it like what's the potential of it as we move forward um because it's going to snowball just like bitcoin did just like crypto as a whole did just like blockchain has um things like the metaverse and nfts and the utilization of those things are going to have a profound impact on our future so i think that it's everybody should be learning about these things um and it's kind of you know it's just fun right like it's kind of fun it's you invest a couple hundred dollars in stocks or crypto like i decided to do that with an nft and 
you identify projects that have um, a really great community. It's very based on community. It's based on the roadmap of of what those projects entail. It's based on the utility of, you know, if I buy this NFT, like what's the, what am I doing with it? What could be done with it in the future? Can I play a game with it? Can I, um, you know, can I go to a rich, rich yacht party, you know, with it? Can I have access to music? Can I have access to a course? So I think that if we start broadening the utility of these types of uh, technologies, it's going to, kind of show people how that will work with the future. Um, so anyway, so kind of just selecting the right project and making sure that like the community is fired up about it. Uh, you like the artwork. Um, you know, for me, it was definitely like buying this NFT on a different platform that hasn't been um, available previously. So it's cutting down a lot of the different fees associated with buying an NFT, just like the way that you have to make all of the transactions. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, it's, it's really kind of luck of the draw a lot of the times too, um, yeah. because you don't know what you're going to get, right? Like it's completely randomly generated, which is kind of the exciting part too. That's awesome. Well, this might be, the next question is if you were invited to a show and tell right now, is there anything that you would, that comes to mind that you would want to bring? Like anything in the world? Yeah. Anything that maybe... Uh, you have a connection to emotionally or a, a, a deep resonance mm. with? That's another good question. Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Like, I definitely am very interested in that world. Um, and I feel like very much a noob talking about it. So that might be a show and tell that I would be interested in is just understanding like the metaverse and blockchain and like the future of all of those things um but i also always would love to better understand um like i'm very interested in um um astrology and or astronomy and um just like astrophys i don't even know how to like properly right. <laughs> astrophysiology <laughs> like that is the world that is more than just earth and humanity is extremely intriguing to me and um, understanding to even just like physics, like those cat those things just like it, it, they, they, that's what helps us exist. So if there's anything else I would dive deeper into, it'd probably be trying to understand like how and why do we exist and what else is out there? <laughs> yes. The deep questions. <laughs> Uh, yeah. and the final question, uh, is if you were to meet yourself at a younger phase of life, uh, do you have any specific pieces of advice that you'd want to impart to yourself? Ooh, um, these are all really good questions. Um, I think I would tell myself to be free of judgment and the fear of judgment, because I think that that has stifled me in a lot of ways um, throughout my life. And, and yeah, I, I think that if I were to have just been free of those judgments and that fear, I would have been able to arrive um, and, and start becoming a lot sooner um, because I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit, late in that journey of being able to um, kind of take control of those things. And I wish that I would have done it at a, at a younger age, because I know that it would have had a, a profound impact on my mental health and my career and my personal life and all of those things, because it's happening now. Um, so I wish it would have happened a lot sooner, because who knows, then I would have been on a completely different level. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're, you're on a pretty profound level to me and I really appreciate the time that yeah. you've taken. Um, it's been lovely chatting. Uh, if you have anything you want to plug or any sort of social media or anything, now is the time. <laughs> um, I think that, yeah, definitely check out Women in Revenue is one of my favorite orgs that I work with. And um, it's just, it's all about creating equity, more equitable spaces for women in revenue. So I would encourage all women in revenue and, and male allies to join that. 
Um, Black Marketers Association of America, I mentioned a, a great place to, if you're looking to hire Black marketers specifically, um, to advertise your jobs, to break into that community and start sharing so we can kind of open up that, um, you know, access to, to the, to that kind of, um, to those jobs and to those opportunities, because it's not a pipeline problem. It is, you know, opening up those doors. So I think that that would be another community to dive into. Um, and of course, Mad Kudu, like I, if you're in marketing, marketing ops, like I would love for everyone to check out marketing ops confessions. It's, it's really just a fun, fun community that we've built. And and I won't even say we built this community. Like we're we're bringing an existing community and people within an existing community together um, to have this platform where we can knowledge share and and chat and talk about experiences. And it's just really fun to facilitate that. I love that. I love uh, it. Valuable resources and awesome things to check out. Uh, Hannah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Today. Thank you. It's been so fun. I appreciate the conversation. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.